0: Trooper Varl clicked the fresh power pack into his lasgun and cried softly. He was down to four magazines and his trusty bayonet. Not that it would do a lot of good. He had been on this godforsaken hellhole for two weeks now and his regiment was already down to half strength. Now this was happening. He mumbled a prayer to the Emperor and fired off another round at the seven foot tall superhuman currently ripping his squadmates in half with its bare hands. A little metallic ping sounded off the monster's armor, and it turned to face him, grinning through two separate mouths that charged at unholy speed towards his trench. This was it. He was going to die defending a planet full of weeds and shrines. The heretic Astartes was only 100 meters away now. Varl emptied his power pack one shot, hitting the ear of the onrushing death. That just made the damn thing faster. 50 meters now. All he could do was fix his bayonet and pray through the angels and saints. The glow of the angels did indeed appear before him, in the form of two brilliant beams of LAS cannon fire from the heavy weapons emplacement behind him. The creature may have had two smiles and seven feet of height, but the Astra Militarum had two million men and the judgment of the god-emperor of mankind. And that was enough to wipe both smiles off its face and most of the rest of its body from existence. Welcome to the Grim Dark Battle Station. You're listening to Grim Dark Battle Station, the show that takes a real world look at fictional conflicts and is actually just a small moon. In this episode, we're going to be delving into one of the most entertainingly grim sci-fi franchises. The grim darkness of the far future. Warhammer 40,000, aka 40k, aka Plastic Crack. Anybody interested in 40k will know that it has a relatively unique lore ecosystem. Sure, the characters might be well-established sci-fi tropes, but 40k is pretty much on its own for a franchise of its size where, like, Transformers and some other universes, the stories are used as a vehicle to sell toys and miniatures. Effectively, all the books, games, board games, and media series are a way for Games Workshop, the creators of 40k, to sell plastic miniatures and rule books, based on the characters in the setting. This has been tremendously successful and created a multi-billion dollar company. But it's left us with a sort of floatiness around lore, as sometimes it's subservient to a release schedule of the minis. There's also a metric squig ton of books to read in the universe, and one sub-conflict in the setting has somewhere around 60 books at the time of recording. Men that fight to keep the alien, the mutant, and the heretic at bay. They are normal people like me and you, and just like the population of Earth, they range from the incompetent to the elite, from conscripts looking down the barrel of their guns to check why it's jammed, special forces super soldiers strangling 8 foot tall orcs with piano wire. They are, of course, the Astra Militarum, also known as the Imperial Guard, humanity's only true hope, and the second worst fighting force per capita in the galaxy, with all due respect to the wonderful Chaos Cultists, who would more likely punch a wall than an enemy. Now, the Astra Militarum traces its lineage back to the end of the Imperial of Man's 60-book-long civil war, the Horus Heresy. This was a conflict where roughly half the forces of humanity decided to shack up with demons, also known as chaos, and fight against the Emperor of Mankind and his human Imperium. The Pyrrhic victory that the Imperium won in this war is what has resulted in the steady descent of the 40k galaxy into never-ending war, grim darkness, and outrageously bureaucratic theocracy. In the aftermath of such a betrayal, the Astra Militarum was created in order to split the fleet arm of the Imperial Army from its ground forces. Because any military historian will tell you, having a unified armed forces capability is a quicker route to coup than creating separate services. In both iterations of its life, the Astra Militarum has represented the standing army of the Imperium. It has been a ground force for over 10,000 years, it has countless traditions, variations, structures, and power levels. Any flavour of soldier that you want from any period of time is likely represented in this setting. Although the models are much more limited, there is a general licence to go wild with creating your armies, provided they don't cross the real-world political edginess and glorification of Nazism. It's sad that that needs to be said, but it is a general standing rule. There are Rambo-style guardsmen called Katachans, There are Berber-style guardsmen. There are regiments of every race, colour, creed, orientation, height, weight, and combat style. If you want a regiment of all-female Astra militarum that wear chainmail and beat their enemies into submission with giant bats, they probably exist. It is a timeless and endless force. The definition of a broad strokes in any sci-fi setting but this does not mean that they aren't structured. There are many well-known quantities within the Astra Militarum. We know that its highest officers sit on the ruling junta of the Imperium of Man. The heads of the Departmento Munitorum, which is broken Latin for the Munitions Department, are effectively the heads of the Imperial Guard in the strategic sense. Much like the chiefs of staff in our countries today, they are more concerned with the concept of actually creating and maintaining the armed force rather than directly commanding it. Their isolated role in the command structure is to create, destroy, arm and deploy Imperial Guard regiments. They are responsible for clothing, arming, training, feeding and transporting uncountable billions of soldiers on a daily basis. The logistical challenge they face is so vast that it is statistically inevitable that thousands of troops have been mustered, deployed and forgotten about every single day. Imagine forgetting you had the United States Marine Corps because someone wrote a comma instead of a period in a sentence. Their role in its full context, though, is as members of the High Lords of Terra, the hunter that rules the Imperium. So they are involved in decisions about deploying military forces, from large-scale interstellar crusades. But they also run the logistics and the deployments of certain aspects of these campaigns. The chief of staff of the Astra Militarum is called the Lord Commander Militant, the Astra Militarum. From the High Lords of Terra down, the Munitorum is split into ever more manageable chunks until you reach the level of individual planets and their subservient regiments. At the top of the functional common structure are Segmentums. Segmentums are galaxy-wide subdivisions that split the Milky Way into five parts. The Obscurus, the Tempestus, the Solar, the Pacificus and the Ultima. These segmentum theatres of war are each overseen by a Lord Commander, likely responsible for tens of thousands of planets and trillions of human lives. From here we drop to the sector level, and sector level commanders get a bit fuzzy. There's a weird line between civilian and military that can get blurred. There will be sector leadership that controls multiple forces on multiple planets, but the Imperial Commander of that sector could very well be a high ranking member of the clergy. So whether they're only subservient to the High Lords of Terra, or they're subservient to clergy that control their planet, a general in the Astro Militarum can control multiple different types of forces. So all roads, either locally, sectorally, or in large-scale strategic warfare, lead us back to the Imperial Guard Regiment. So let's pump the brakes a little bit and step away from all those confusing command structures to build a generic military structure for a regiment. You have a planet, that planet owes the Imperium soldiers, locally to form defence forces and strategically to form a Militarum regiment. This regiment will be assigned to any number of places in the galaxy. It could go to a specific theatre where it will be particularly useful, e.g. if they are siege specialists and there is a sector-wide siege occurring, it could be used at that sector or at the segmentum level in general military operations. You could also, because of the insane bureaucracy and politics of the Imperium, have desert soldiers sent to ice worlds, or ice soldiers sent to carry out sieges. Now the planetary defense forces are like a crapper version of an astro-militarum regiment, and they usually ape whatever militarum regiments that are raised from their planet. It can be subordinated to the Imperial Guard, but it isn't designed to fight at the galactic level. So, in a nutshell, we have regiments that are assembled in different combinations, under different structures, depending on the operation or the geography of their situation. The Munitorum are the LEGO Builders, and the rest of us are just the bricks. And now that we've cleared that up, and hopefully stayed as far away from the in-depth strategic notes of Astromilitarum Command Structures, we have one final piece of the puzzle. The Officio Perfectus. It's a silly name for a terrifying organisation. These boys and girls are the political officers of the Munitorum. They ensure the loyalty of the Imperial Guard by disciplining and or executing any members that fail to live up to their duty or their faith in the Emperor. They are the Commissariat. And they exist parallel to the Astra Militarum, ensuring everybody is properly motivated by threat of death from the lowest soldier to the highest lord. Although technically separate, they are a functional part of the Astra Militarum and fulfill a key role in lore and practically in any sort of tactical deployment. Speaking of tactical deployments, the Imperial Guard plays the single most important role in the Imperium. In a galaxy full of marauding orcs, sneaky aliens, killy robots and demons with 12 butt cheeks, the Imperial Guard is the wall that holds back the tide of total societal collapse. They are designed to achieve strategic objectives through sheer force of military power, defined as artillery barrages and bodies thrown forward in the traditional way. They deploy a variety of material in an unfathomable quantity, and they keep fighting until you die or the planet beneath their feet implodes. They are, at the strategic level, a complete sledgehammer. They will roll upon you in wave after wave of unending and expendable bodies. They will bleed your supply lines dry. They will pop up outside every city you control in their tens of thousands. They will hold the line for decades if they have to. And the same comes to besieging your fortress. The Imperial Guard can deploy tanks in their millions, some the size of jumbo jets. It can deploy scouts, horsemen, brawlers, crawlers, snipers and maulers. As the old saying goes, their quantity has a quality of its own. 99% of all military conflicts that the Imperium fight in will be won or lost by the Astra Militarum. As a quick sidebar, it's worth noting that in the history of modern warfare here on Earth, when two countries go all out against each other, it's usually artillery that causes the most casualties. Not planes, not tanks, not men, but mortar and shell. And the Imperial Guard, has enough artillery to crack a continent in two on every planet it lands. When we look at the fictional universe of 40k, it's important to remember all these points about the Astromilitarum. In the lore, the Guard are usually side characters assisting the heroic exploits of the cooler and more profitable factions such as the Adeptus Astartes, the Space Marines. In their own books like Gaunt's Ghosts or the Caiaphas Kane novels, we see a truer picture of the Guard. Nevertheless, the setting is driven by the rule of cool, and the heroes are not the guards, so the guard are occasionally seen as a meme faction by many. Their primary weapon, the Gun, which would run rings around any weapon we have here on Earth, are known affle- affectionately as flashlights. So how do these flashlight-wielding rambos fight, and how would you best deploy them in-universe to achieve your strategic goals? The Imperial Guard fight in every combination that you can think of, from scouts, to mechanized infantry to tanks that fire shells the size of a family sedan. There are Jungle Guard, Jetpack Guard, Napoleonic Fancy Boy Guard. If there is an aesthetic, the Guard has it. Not only do these forces vary in composition though, but they also vary greatly in size from a couple of hundred soldiers to thousands of men, women and machines. Because they are very much a sandbox, the variation in deployment and fighting style is practically endless even among regiments that do the same thing, such as scouting. The core tactical use of military resources is, as mentioned earlier, to be an overwhelming collection of bodies and machines. Through sheer force of combined arms, the enemies of the Imperium will be crushed. However, that is very much worth looking at from a more specific perspective as we know that not every regiment contributes to this strategy in a traditional way. So for all our 40k episodes, we're going to look at the most basic troop combinations that every faction can field, and the interesting and successful ways that they can be tactically deployed to achieve their overall goals. The generic template for the Astra Militarum has been for a long time the Cadian regiments. These Imperial Guard regiments hail from the now-destroyed garrison world of Cadia, and they likely numbered somewhere between tens or hundreds of millions. And again, we're falling victim to the same issues of numbers in Warhammer as we do in Star Wars, where some of them may be missing one to four zeros. Even if an estimate on the small side, they would have 15 million fighting strength with the required logistics and support not counted, The Cadians would still represent a great idea of what the Militarum looks like at the middle of the standard deviation in terms of tactical flexibility, but certainly in the higher end in terms of uniformity of structure and quality of material. This is especially true as many worlds copied the style and structure of Cadian regiments, but because they're so elite, and because Games Workshop didn't want to bother releasing many other plastic model sets. I found a very interesting source graphic of two Cadian regiments that fight together using the now classic armoured breakthrough and encirclement tactic which a lot of people would know as a blitzkrieg. It contained one armour regiment and one infantry regiment. Their purpose was to use tanks to break through static enemy defences like trench lines or bunkers or even cities and push further past them, effectively creating a ring of imperial guard around a difficult to take area or complex. You then rush your foot soldiers in and completely clear out this ring, and turn inward onto what used to be a difficult target, but is now cut off from all supply, retreat, and is usually defending from all angles. This can come in a lot of different variations, but the core principle is get past the enemy, double back around, kick their ass in the process. To achieve this goal, my rough count of these two Cadian Regiment strengths shows that they had about 500 ground troops, About 45 heavy support weapons, rocket launchers, giant lasers called LAS cannons, heavy machine guns, mortars, etc. 30 regular tanks and 1 Bane blade, which is a 300 tonne tank with a cannon 10 metres long and shells that are 1 metre in size. So with rough explosive math here, it will damage most things within a 1 kilometre or 0.6 mile radius of the shell explosion. 3 scout vehicles to help with tank targeting and 3 anti-aircraft artillery pieces. In addition, to fulfil this role, the ground troops will likely be at least motorised with some form of truck. It's not in the source info, but it's a very rare context where you get a successful breakthrough and guys in foot are fast enough to complete the manoeuvre. So maybe they had about 50 trucks too. In universe, a force this size and composition could likely carry out multiple roles. Aside from breakthrough, it has the power to carry out sieges or defensive operations. On the scale that 40k takes place, you're obviously not going to have these two regiments on their own in a war. But they will likely be able to handle lower level things like a small to medium town. With the caveat that in the Imperium of Man, there are some cities that have 20 or 40 billion people living in them. They can't capture one of those, but not every planet is going to be a hive world full of billions upon billions of people. And if you take that as a standard template, it can be useful, provided you remember that there will be hundreds if not thousands of different variations on that theme throughout the galaxy. They aren't just a meat shield with a flashlight, but they can be. In a galaxy with billions upon billions of guardsmen, there are thousands of unique, weird and specialized troop types. When all of these styles are taken together, you have to have a very niche definition of what a hero is to not find heroism within the Astromilitarum, even if 40-70% to of the time they're an absolute meme-fest. Speaking of memes, in the 2005 novel 15 Hours by Mitchell Scanlon, we are introduced to the horror of war in the 41st millennium, and it's on a very personal level. The story follows a fresh Militarum recruit, little different from you and I, as he is thrust into a nightmarish conflict against the Orcs. The premise of the novel is that this generic war is so brutal that the average lifespan for a guardsman in the theatre is 15 hours. And no more spoilers after that. This is the meat shield aspect of the militarum. However, in the Gaunt's Ghosts novels that are written by Dan Abnett, there are lightly armoured scout soldiers that survive decades and win unending glory for their regiment. And now they're written as heroic successes because they're heroes, but on the flip side most of the other lore is written about how heroically awful and mundane the Militarum are, so it's only fair that there's a broad range of experiences and capabilities. Of course, this is one of the problems with the grim darkness of 40k. It's what we all love about it, it's the reason it succeeded so long, but because of that people are so protective of ideas contained within the lore. The problem with that is that lore isn't solid and is also intentionally designed to give room for custom ideas. You have to take it and chart a practical path through it. Well, as practical as anything with demons and talking anime fish people can be. If we take the in-universe information about regiments and apply leaps of logic that are not super controversial, you can build an astro-militarum regiment that can effectively fight any foe in the 40k universe. Whether you're scaling it to say 100 of these regiments, or you're just looking at it in the lab as a 1v1 equivalent, which is what we'll be doing. And that's the beauty of the guard, when you compare them to equal value forces of other races, they will always win, because they'll be able to bring much more extreme firepower to bear. This is also something where the tabletop game and the lore combine to give some more useful context, because generally speaking, the old rule of thumb is that There's basically 100 Guardsmen for every single one of the more elite races' foot troops. Before we delve into it though, I want to make a quick note about psychic powers in Warhammer. They exist, they're terrifying, and sometimes psychers have the power to blow up entire planets. They're very hard to counter in lore, and you can't really outfit a regiment to fight them. So, for example, if we put 100 Astra Militarum soldiers against a... Equally powered Psyker, he could probably turn their brains to goo, but that same weakness exists for every other faction in some shape or form. There's quite a lot of variation in faction types in Warhammer 40k, but they also match your general sci-fi tropes. There are lightly armoured fast troops, there are slow, bumbling, heavily armoured troops, there are terrifying alien nightmares alternate societies, traitors, people who just have mild disagreements with you, and of course orcs who are equally homicidal and hilarious space mushrooms who sometimes have a strategy and sometimes just want to bonk you on the head with a stick. If the Militarum were going to fight a fast by default enemy that would be some form of space elf which are known as the Elder or the Dark Elder, Drukari, Eldari, or Yanari, or any type of Nari you want to have. Generally speaking, neither would really appear to attack guard regiments face to face without doing some sort of detailed ambush or 4D chest fast attack where they pop through an interdimensional portal that's hidden in the side of a tree. These armies are terrifying either because of their technology and psychic power, In the case of the Eldari, or in the case of Drukhari, their warrior culture built around enslaving and torturing other races, as well as terrifying technology and speed. On a soldier-to-soldier level, there would be no contest. A militarum veteran of 20 years would be dead in seconds facing either race's foot soldiers. But these factions don't want a stand-up fight. Not because they are fragile, not through martial weakness, but through small numbers and arrogance that's typical of most elvish races in any fantasy setting they are the remaining people of a dying race and the same is true of their sister group the Harlequins, who are even more lethal but even more fragile down to the point that they operate in tiny bands any combination of the eldari race is effectively a tactical swiss army knife They have excellent special forces tier troops that carry out any role from infiltration to assassination to planetary destruction. They can easily take out the Imperial Guard's standard Lehman Russ battle tank and cut their way through a squad of guardsmen in under a minute. They can outfly a rocket. They can dodge a laser blast. But they can't take out 10 tanks instantaneously or cut their way through four squads in under a minute. Sure they can dodge a rocket. But can they dodge 15, or better yet 1,500 rounds of mass reactive exploding heavy bolter ammunition? Because that's what a prepared Militarum Regiment would deploy. Pinpoint accurate laser beams, solid slug rapid fire ammo, mass reactive rapid fire ammo, fire, grenades and sheer weight of bodies. In terms of value of life of each soldier, the guard can afford to lose dozens provided one enemy falls. The sheer volume of projectiles can't be overcome by our favourite space cells, and they would inevitably fall to that 1 in 500 lucky shot, or get hit by enough small shots to just expire from cumulative small-scale damage. Fighting fast enemies, the Astromilitarum can easily lay down large fields of fire with a deep pool of manpower that just through sheer patience and grit will win the day or at the very least kill just enough space elves to make them turn around and leave, because you're no longer worth their time. Nine times out of ten though, it'll be a lightning raid or ambush, and they'll all die within minutes. That's one of the beautiful things about 40k. So it's all well and good having overwhelming firepower and sheer weight of numbers when you're fighting a fast enemy, but what happens when you're fighting an enemy that has more firepower and more numbers than you? When fighting enemies that rely on weight of numbers and viciousness like the orcs, traditional orcs, or tyranids, swarming space bugs, you have a different problem. The standard pattern that these enemies represent is an uncountable and nigh-unstoppable tide of hyperviolent aliens that are bred specifically to fight and destroy you. There is no arrogance in them. They want to eat you. Or enslave you or just fight you. In the case of Orcs, their entire culture is about fighting. They want to fight you, they don't care about death, they are multiple times stronger and more resilient than you, and they outnumber you. On the best day, their technology is a match for yours, so not only do you have to fight an 8 foot tall axe-wielding hooligan, but you also have to deal with an 8 foot tall machine gun-wielding hooligan. For the Tyranids, you and your entire planet are nothing but a meal for them, they will melt you down into goo and build more Tyranids out of you. Not only that, but the new ones that they make will be bred to counter exactly whatever effective tactics you just used against them. They are constantly evolving, constantly devouring, and in many cases are already present on your planet, having secretly interbred with your population for several years. Now fighting the orcs is actually more straightforward than you think. Because the generic orc force, applies only one strategy, charged straight at you in one gigantic blob, led by the most vicious one of all. The guard has them on range and tactics, so if they can deploy mines, traps and defences, and long range firepower, they will likely survive to fight another day. You know, a lot of foot soldiers will have to be used to bog down whatever orcs make it through, but then you can immediately target that area with your own heavy weapons eventually the green tide of orcs will dissipate and scatter, especially if you can target their leader, because if you can take out their leader, you have taken out the single most intelligent orc in the band, but also you have created a job vacancy that the next biggest orcs will want to fill, and they will immediately start fighting each other, just as much as they are fighting you, unless they can get a new leader to the fore immediately. So you've beaten the orcs, and now you only have to deal with periodic infestations of orcs over the next 200 years planet-wide. The Militarum would consider that a win, though. The Tyranids are a slightly different beast. They will swarm you, yes, and some of it might seem mindless, but in reality, their grunts exist for two purposes. To swarm you and kill you if they can, but also to tie you up long enough for the more intelligent beings to either come up with a better plan to beat you or just to eat you, themselves. The Tyranids will deploy everything from infiltration to chemical warfare to just plain hurling asteroids at you, but in generic terms they represent an army directed by a single overarching consciousness called the Hive Mind. The Hive Mind creates different units with different levels of intelligence and skills. The smart ones sort of drive on the dumb ones and take out high value targets. Without the smart creatures, or the synapse creatures, the normal Tyranids will just evolve into admittedly vicious, but unintelligent animals. This synapse connection is their greatest strength and also their greatest weakness. Although it allows inhuman levels of coordination, if it is sufficiently weakened or broken, then the majority of the force will lose most of their tactical coherence and operate like a tide of angry badgers. Yes, still dangerous, but not mustache-twirling levels of enemy. So for our Militarum Regiment, the solution is simple, providing they don't get eaten by a horde of tiny bugs shot at their face first. You blow the hell out of the larger creatures. You kill the officer corps. Thankfully, these larger creatures also tend to be physically larger and represent bigger targets. They can't change outfits and pretend they're a conscript. If they're a 20-foot-tall Tyranid bioform, they're a 20-foot-tall Tyranid bioform. While it's easier said than done, and most full-scale conflict with Tyranids end up in entire planets being stripped bare of all organic matter, at the lab level of generic force, a military regiment that is dug in with a mix of heavy and anti-infantry weapons would stand a good chance. Here, a mixed tactic of first focusing all fire on the officer Tyranids, and then using fire and plain old bullets on the resulting mindless swarm would be the best tactic. However... This swarm is designed to fight wars of attrition as a rule, so you'd likely have to deploy some form of fast attack or directed fire on the larger creatures rather than just waiting to see what happens, because as soon as you can see the 20 foot tall guy, there might be 1500 small guys with fangs and claws, turning your squadmates into sock puppets. And while a generic guard detachment can do it, it's probably stretching the composition of a single regiment to do this all by itself if we're talking about just generics. It would be relatively close to being an unwinnable matchup, but the Tyranids also don't really deploy just generic troop types without some sort of control. So you can easily defeat a horde without melting into a pile of goo or being ripped apart by an orc. But how do you fight enemies that have you in terms of technology and shooting ability? Fighting incredibly shooty enemies that are high-tech and not ravelous hooligans means fighting two races in particular, the Tau and the Necrons. When facing these enemies, you are definitely going to be outgunned from a technological perspective, although you are likely in most cases to have numerical advantage, though with Necrons this can change in a matter of minutes. The difference between both factions is that although they both bring a lot of fancy guns, It's only the Necrons that are practically immortal, aesthetically and functionally they are terminators. The Tao on the other hand are a very young intergalactic empire centred around a rigid caste system and a love of technology. Their entire culture is based around the idea of a greater good, which is a way to tightly control all resources within their small empire. This means that they have clearly defined roles and a form of meritocracy in military affairs, at least more so than the generic Imperium. And their overall goal is both survival and expansion of their way of life. Because of their small size, and, and and they are tiny compared to the Imperium, and their clear strategic vision, the Tao don't believe in throwing bodies forward en masse or fighting attritional warfare. Instead, they deploy overwhelming force over smaller areas and strike quickly with significant amounts of firepower. If you think about it, It's like sending the entire US Navy to conquer Bermuda. It's overkill, but they'll win everywhere they show up. And they have to sacrifice the ability to show up in multiple places at the same time. The Necrons don't have a problem with fragility or small size. They are an ancient race of murder robots that hold millions of planets secretly. Sleeping in giant Egyptian-style tombs, the Necrons have their consciousness inside robotic constructs that are very hard to kill, and are linked to the 40k equivalent of a cloud server. If they die, they can be downloaded into another body. They also have the power of teleportation and an almost god-tier control of time and space. Thankfully though, their weapons aren't that bad. They only dissolve you at a subatomic level. So think a main force of slowly advancing hard-to-kill robots that once they are within accurate shooting range will kill you in a single hit, backed up by numerous different robot helpers that might just swarm you or flay you alive first and they they also self-repair after you shoot them as well as before when facing both factions our humble guardsman or guardswoman should be afraid you're not likely to survive any course of action against these although the tell might offer you a role as a human auxiliary you pledge your life to the service of the greater good but before they give you that chance they're going to shoot you with a railgun from 2 miles away or float a bunch of robot tanks behind your supply line and maybe deploy hovering robot suits to melt your face from above. In comparative terms, our Militarum Force is fighting a modern army with World War I equipment and tactics. And just like fighting a modern army with a World War I mindset, your key advantage is the fact that you have much greater capacity to withstand pain, and you outmatch your opponent in terms of sheer grit and miserableness. If you can get in amongst them and either bleed them dry or decapitate their leadership, you can win. The Tao will not invest more than the bare minimum of soldiers and save for any of their client races, they do poorly in an up-close and grimy fight. Their inferior morale when coupled with their vastly superior tactics and technology leads to only one workable tactic. Close combat, preferably hand-to-hand, ideally via ambush, and with a string of grenades tied around your chest. At the generic level, the militarum could deploy lightly armored stealth troops or tough close combat specialists like the Katachans, but also special forces troops, the Tempestus Scions, are a generic militarum troop in the lore and on tabletop. And in terms of numbers, there's probably more there's probably more elite stormtroopers in the Imperium than there are just general Tau soldiers. So you either space parachute these Imperial Navy SEALs among the tanks and robots with plasma grenades and anti-tank weapons, or you try and blob the Tau with the bodies of quote-unquote lesser troops, such that you can get enough men in range with destructive weapons and good old-fashioned bayonets. The nine men in front of you might die, but you get in front of that Tau floaty tank with a belt of bombs and you die in glory for the Emperor of Mankind. If they have their ally crew with you, you might have a harder close-up fight because the crew are carnivorous birds that will cut you to pieces but if you can get in among them the Tau will disintegrate in a tactical sense either because they're being massacred or because they only have 100 bodies to show at you and their cost-benefit analysis of their tactical goals show that they peace out if their number of bodies falls below 75 now the Tau have recently adopted close combat weapons on their battle suits, but it remains to be seen just how effective that will be against mass bayonet charges. Her Necron friends, however, don't really need to adopt any new technology, because they achieved technological perfection about 50 million years ago, and they'll only retreat if they feel like it. They will retreat if you're annoying them enough, or if you've decapitated their command structure, forcing the brain of their lord to teleport somewhere else or float around on that cloud server. Otherwise, they will march endlessly towards you, getting back up from direct rocket hits and disintegrating your face. The Necrons have varied tactical and strategic goals because they're ruled over by many different dynasties of senile super robots known as lords. At their core, however, they want you to get off their lawn, because you're likely squatting on a planet that they have been on for longer than humanity has been in the stars. Their overall faction goal is the complete subjugation of the galaxy, but their armies mostly lie dormant and their command structure is not unified. Now, None of this really matters when facing them, though, as they either want to protect their tomb complexes or take something from your planet. In either case, they aren't stopping to pursue a grander strategic purpose or maintain their precious soldiers like the Te'o. The Gauss weaponry that they use are generations ahead of what the Imperium can deploy. And they have troops like Scorpec Destroyers, which can easily side through entire squads of Guardsmen in a single swipe. So, they are hard to kill, medium and close range specialists. And they can also occasionally bring living gods to the tabletop, but definitely not in a generic sense. So how the hell do you even counter this? Well, tanks and melta weapons. We've established that generally speaking, the Necrons will kick your ass in close combat and disintegrate your face from 40 paces. But they can't disintegrate your face if you've disintegrated their face. That's where you bring in big brain strategy. Your heavy weapons may be prone to getting destroyed by teleporting enemies, but you can still take out heavies and foot soldiers alike using a combination of battle cannon and melter bombs/slash melter guns. Melter weapons are superheated energy weapons that melt tank armor or Necron skin. At some point, your entire line will be compromised, and you'll be running around like a headless chicken but 50 chickens holding hand grenades can still win the day. This is especially true if your initial use of long-range firepower managed to take out the support necrons, because you're not going to take out their lord 99% of the time, but if the lord sees the loss of valuable troops, he may just peace out like the robo-boomer he she is. If it's just a generic tomb protection force, you might actually be able to stem the tide full stop, but generally speaking, you're going to get flayed alive. Or disintegrated. Whichever. Both good options. Finally, they're the forces of chaos. The arch enemy. The armies that the Militarum has been fighting since before was the Militarum. They can deploy matching forces in the form of Traitor Guard, effectively just identical troops to our Militarum heroes. Just evil. They can deploy heretic Astartes, seven foot tall superhuman killing machines that have had 10,000 years of practice ...and are further empowered by the energy of the Dark Gods. Hell, there might even be some actual demons on the battlefield fighting you or trying to wear you as a meat puppet. Creatures that don't obey the laws of the material realm and can make your brain explode just by looking at you. And there's no point comparing Guard versus Traitor Guard, although it's an interesting plot in many stories. It's, it's also pretty pointless because they'll bring the same tactics... The Traitor Guard might be slightly more vicious and slightly less organized. And in the same way, Militarum soldiers are not surviving a demonic incursion on their own. That's just not going to happen. If demons appear, they are horrific entities that require super elite soldiers or the Emperor's most pious priests to combat. Also, generally speaking, the Militarum doesn't win against demons because there's a high percentage chance that they get executed for even seeing demons, even after a victory. They've seen too much and they've got to go, so we're going to give the Astra Militarum a break here and only make them fight 7 foot tall, evil superhumans, wearing nigh indestructible armor that can run at about 40 miles an hour. Understandably, terror is the core weapon of these forces. Whether terror at the evil that hangs in the air around them, terror at their speed, their survivability, their appearance, or their mastery of magic, you will be almost catatonically scared. This is before you have to counter their highly effective weapons and punch holes in their heavy armour that may or may not also be protected by demon magic. They can make you confused, they can make you sick, or they can make you into a Japanese tentacle monster. When they attack you, even if it's the slow march of the Death Guard faction who are inhumanely resilient and carrying disease, they'll be faster than you. In some cases they'll be smarter, but they also fall into general archetypes depending on what god of chaos is their patron. Suffice to say that in the generic sense you will be fighting incredibly fast and heavily armoured murder machines that delight in death and violence, and they particularly dislike you and everything you stand for. All this being said, these beings are not gods. They may look close to gods to you, standing in your trench, pinging shots off their ceramite armour, but they are mostly mortal. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Except those Heretic Astartes that are made out of sand, but let's just not talk about them for a second. I think you're starting to see the pattern, though, of how the Militarum counters these threats. At some level, we're basically just going to throw bodies and ordnance at them in a certain combination until we win. With the Chaos Space Marines, it's no different. Sure, it takes 100 accurate Lasgun rounds to kill a single one of them, but we have 200 Lasguns. In lore, human wave attacks of people holding rocks and skulls have been enough to kill these heretics, let alone five mortar rounds landing directly on their head, or better yet, a LAS cannon shot to the face, like we talked about at the start of the episode. Generally, again, this is going to involve firing on your own men, but that's not a problem for the Imperium, especially if it kills a traitor marine. In fact, the Imperium would sacrifice 10 tanks per single trader marine and still consider that a calculated win. So, the tactic is very straightforward mortars, cannon, rapid fire heavy weapons, and enough las fire to eventually defeat the enemy. They're too strong and fast to use slow, large caliber weapons or flamethrowers. But with enough indirect fire into our own ranks, the enemy will be defeated and faith in the Emperor will protect the worthy from their own comrades' artillery barrage. So all of this is really to strength the guard at the micro-level. Their generic combinations can be outfitted to face any foe. It will be meme it will be stupid, and 99 times out of 100, they will lose. And lose badly. But they can come at you 110 times. They won't be fielded like this normally, but they're not made more effective on a micro scale, it's just the micro scale allows you to see just how elite and fragile the other factions are when compared with this fighting force. To a man and woman, they are among the most useless fighters in the galaxy. Together though, they are the most effective active military force in the galaxy. When we view this through the hobby lens, even embracing the meme by design of the Imperial Guard, The potential for varied and cool media as well as narrative play is a tremendous missed opportunity because human forces are the best tool for expansion and inclusivity in any hobby. They are the ultimate sandbox. The Militarum are no exception. There might not be gender fluid space marines, but it's statistically inevitable that right now, somewhere in the 40k galaxy, There is a lore-accurate, bodybuilding, gender-fluid Militarum soldier decapitating an orc with a chainsaw sword. That is a wonderful thing to have in a hobby. They are the unsung heroes carrying the Emperor's flashlight into battle. That's the end of this week's topic. We'd love to hear from you about anything Astra Militarum or general hobby related. You can reach us on Twitter at the underscore GBDS. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to rate the podcast and share among your friends. And remember to keep your hobbies fun and stupid, because that's what they're there for.